Welcome to the Equipping You in Grace podcast, hosted by Dave Jenkins. The Equipping You in Grace podcast is a podcast about helping Christians develop a biblical worldview in a conversational tone about issues inside and outside the church. Now, for today's episode, let's join our host, Dave Jenkins. Welcome back to the Equipping You in Grace podcast. My name is Dave, and I'm the host for this podcast. And with me today, I have Craig with me. Craig, welcome to the Equipping You in Grace podcast. Thank you, Dave. It's good to be here. Yeah, it's been really fun just to get to chat with you for a little while before we recorded. I, I really appreciated the conversation, and, and I'm really excited about the talking with you today. Um, can you just let us know a little bit about your life, your marriage, your ministry? What are what ministry projects are you working on, brother? Well, that's a, that's a long story, but I'll give the short version. Um, I'm married to Carol, and uh, she was raised in Pennsylvania, and I was raised in western Nebraska, and we met at Gordon Conwell Theological Seminary in Massachusetts, uh, both of us far from home. Um, But we met there. Shortly before that time, my wife, who was uh, not raised in uh, the doctrines of grace, she came to those, and she was the the person that kind of brought me over, as it were, and she answered my questions uh, about the faith, because I was raised in an Armenian Wesleyan uh, church, the Church of God, Anderson, Indiana. Uh, I was, I think, by blood, the fourth generation of those that went to that church and uh, raised by farmers in western Nebraska. But when I came uh, to college, I was handed uh, books by Francis Schaeffer and seeds were planted. I later went to the Brie. And so I was kind of on this journey of trying to understand uh, the faith. But when I came to Gordon Conwell, uh, there I met my wife and some some very winsome representatives of the Reformed faith, David Wells, T. David Gordon, a great deal, uh, Rick Lentz, who officiated her wedding. And they kind of brought me into this this ocean, you know, of, of doctrine in life that I had not known before. And and so that's when uh, my wife and I became members of a Presbyterian Church in America congregation, and I started pursuing ministry there um, in that church. We went to Philadelphia, where uh, I went to Westminster Theological Seminary, got my PhD in uh, systematic theology, and then started pastoring a church across the street from the seminary, Calvary Orthodox Presbyterian Church. And we were there for 12 years. The Lord called us to Wheaton, Illinois, uh, same town as Wheaton College. Uh, we became the pastor of uh, Bethel Presbyterian Church. I was there for 12 years. And then this this last uh, summer, end of summer, I moved here to Southern California, to Westminster Seminary, California, to become a, a professor of practical theology. And so this has been a very radical shift for us and the form of ministry that we've had in the past. Uh, my wife, especially talented in hospitality uh, to, to, to church members, families, and, and to students. Hopefully the Lord will allow that to flourish here as well. So now I'm, I'm taking up a new apprenticeship. I'm I'm, I'm teaching, but really falling in love with uh, the students here and the faculty. I'm just very grateful for this opportunity to basically apply uh, 25 years of pastoral experience into the classroom and uh, hopefully have a few things to to pass on uh, to those that are training for the ministry. So that's where we are now. Yeah, uh, no doubt you have a wealth of experience and knowledge and wisdom and things that you've learned in ministry to to pass on. So what a what a treasure that is to your students and you know to uh, even to readers of this uh, great book. So um, what a, what a blessing! Can you uh, just tell us a little bit about your book? 
with all your heart orienting your mind, your desires and will towards Christ, why you wrote it, and how you hope it'll be received. Well, let me take the last part first. I, I guess the one word that comes to mind as I think about your question is is useful. Uh, I want the book to be useful. Um, I guess there was a time and a day when uh, any man or woman thought that their life was lived well and it was a noble life if they were useful. And that's that's what I want this book to be. You know, it's not written to be impressive. It's not a scholarly book. It's really meant to be of use to people as they start to understand their heart, which is, the, which is at the very center of our uh, our calling as Christians in the Great Commandment. I, I wouldn't say I stumbled into this book, but I, but I sort of did after years of reading the Puritans, and especially influenced by John Owen and his understanding of the heart, um, and then others as they, uh, um, these physicians of the heart, like Richard Sibbs, uh, John Flavel, we talked about him earlier, uh, and others, and kind of seeing uh, a, a method that they were using, uh, uh, or a grid that they were using of the heart. But then I think also uh, preaching to the Psalms was helpful to me. And when I got to Psalm 51, I noticed the cluster of the three most often used words in Hebrew for sin, and that kind of gave me a side door look at the heart as well, like, well, how do we sit with the heart? And I started to see categories emerging and converging as well. And so I started reflecting upon it, and I did a Sunday school series on it in my church at Calvary in Philadelphia. And then when I came to Wheaton, I kept playing with it. I did a Sunday school series, and there was an editor of Crossway uh, worshiping at our church, Al Fisher, and he's the one who said, um, you should write a proposal. And so I did. And, and that's that's kind of how this began. So I've, I've been thinking upon this for over a decade uh, in terms of the, the grid that I'm using, uh, which is from the Puritans. But I started writing, oh, probably seven years ago, started putting words down. And, and this is not, you know, like a converted sermon or anything like that. I, I wrote this from the ground up with a view towards how, how could people benefit uh, from what I've learned from the Puritans and uh, what, what we understand from the, about the heart from Scripture. So that's explanation oh that's uh that's really really good yeah i did mention um are you a? have you been influenced by flavel but it makes sense also that you've been influenced by owen i i also i like both of those uh men very very much so i can i can definitely see that um influence throughout the your book so that's really good really good and it, and it is guys this book is really readable. It's it's you know easy to digest. It's it's rooted in the scriptures. It's uh, you know personal, but it also isn't overly personal. It's uh, it's it's appropriate and it's um, very helpful. It has a lot of quotes from church history, so you Puritan nerds will definitely like it. Um, so yeah, you'll you'll enjoy this this work. So why is the heart the most important word in the Bible? To describe who you are within. Well, I, the reason I think it's the most important word in the Bible, now, um, some of that is a quote from Bruce Walker who says it's the most important word in the Old Testament, but looking at all of Scripture, I, I still would stand by the fact that it's the most important word. God was pleased to give us a cluster of terms to describe who we are within. You, you think of words like soul and spirit, conscience, Paul talks about the inner man, um, and all those are, are helpful to describe you know, our inner life, but heart is special, heart is different, and the reason why is because it's like those other terms in, in, in a sense that it captures the inner unity of who we are. It's simple enough of a term to, to do that. But there's something else about the heart that's, that's, that's different from these other words, and that is the heart, the way it's used in Scripture, reveals a complexity to our inner self, and there's a threefold inner self, and this is 
Again, this is Puritan theology, but this also overlaps quite significantly with modern biblical scholarship across the board. Like if you open any lexicon or any encyclopedia or dictionary in the Bible, you would see this um, same sort of pattern that the word heart in Scripture includes uh, the mind, the desires, and the will. Or we can put it this way, what we know in the mind, what we love, our desires, and what we choose uh, in the will. So it's the cognitive part of who we are, the, the affectionate part of who we are, and the volitional part of who we are. And that's, and that's the thing that's very special about the word heart, is that it, it captures or it includes all those things. And so when we see that word in Scripture, we see heart in Scripture that we first assume the unity, that just like the other terms, it's referring to the unity unity of who we are, but there's many, many times when one of these particular functions of the heart, or capacities of the heart, mind, desire, to will, is rising to the fore. And so just like one example would be, there's many, many times in our in our English translations when the word that you see there is mind in your English Bible. And I'm thinking of a proverb, it says, the, uh, the man who trusts in his mind is a fool, but the word there is heart. Or like when you turn to Ecclesiastes and the Proverbs, there are many instances there where the English translation uh, use the word mind, but the word's heart. And, and the reason for that is because it's hard for a, a, a modern reader to associate thinking, you know, the imagination, cognitive functions with, with the heart, because we've been so influenced by Greek philosophy. Uh, but, but the biblical understanding of heart is that this is where, this is where your thought life is generated, your understanding, your sense. And so that's just one area of why the, the word heart is so important uh, for us. And, and like I said, because of that complexity that this word reflects, um, it, it functions as the most important word. The mo- it gives the most important insights to who we are within. Yeah, that's that's really, really good. And you, and you just said something that I, I, I'm going to key in on here. You said that we've been so influenced by Greco-Roman philosophy, and that is that is so true. You know the the whole idea of knowledge being in your head and and not in your heart. It's it has devastating consequences, as as we both know. You know to to know something in scripture is isn't to know it in your head. Sure, it, it can be uh, you know something that you know intellectually, but but to know it, it to know it truly in the sense of the word is to know it in your heart, um, where you have not only genuine knowledge, but that's how you get understanding and applying that in in a in a wisdom way. So I I, I really appreciate you saying that. That's that's not a small thing that you just said. It's it's actually a critical thing to grasp. I would argue. Well, it is an important thing in scripture because the mind always has an agenda. All of our thinking is usually on a trajectory. So when Scripture says to set your mind, as Christ says to Peter, you've not set your mind on the things of God, but the things of man, or Philippians 2, when it says to set your mind on this way of Christ, namely of humility, it's not talking about you know disparate thoughts or random things. It's talking about the ordering of your thoughts, and that your thought life, um, your your understanding, always comes with a motive. It's not it has an agenda, and and the reason for that is is because it reflects the, the desires of your heart, and that these things are attached. And there's things I don't want to know, and so and there's things I choose to ignore because of this agenda that's going on in my heart. And so it just goes to show how important this is. And this is you know the insight that Scripture ha- has on wisdom and why the heart is so important there. Or we think about somebody who uh, has doubts about the Christian faith, and if we if we understate the significance of the mind of the heart, if we if we belittle 
this aspect of the Christian faith, what are we saying to people who have legitimate questions about Scripture or about the faith or about Christ? We tend to send the message that these things are superficial and unimportant, when in fact, they're not just questions about the mind, that most of the doubts people have are not really intellectual questions. They're about things they can't handle, things they don't want to see, they don't want to face, or that are, are unbearable. Uh, and that's the way the truth operates. You know, that's just, unfortunately, the nature of truth. It, it, real truth changes things, and it, it takes you all the way, or you have to go all the way down with it. And so, yeah, this separation between uh, the head and the heart is, is really, it's not just wrong, it's not helpful. Um, and, it, and, it, and it really betrays a different agenda than what we have in Scripture. Yeah, that, that's really, that's really, really well said. And I I appreciate I appreciate you bringing up the whole the whole issue of questions because um you know loving the lord with all of our mind you know we we think that I think some of us think that that's that's not a small that's a insignificant thing and it's like actually we're not only commanded to love god you know with and and to love others but we're called to love him in every phase of life including with our mind and um we know from you know church history that we Christians have were the first ones to to uh, put together hospitals and schools and um, orphanages and and care for people and and why because of the whole great commandment you know you know even the even the Muslims you know they they when they would go into an area they would they they valued the the Christian uh, you know tradition and the intellectual history that we have and they would study our our works you know they destroyed some too but you know we, we're guilty of that too and church history says that christians destroyed other works as well but you know we're supposed to love the lord with with all of our mind with everything that we are and we don't have to be afraid of questions and and having doubts um obviously we would say that you know we shouldn't have doubts from unbelief but but questioning you know, um, or, or que- to question God, but to to grow in our faith and confidence in God, we can have our questions and bring them to Him. And He's He's a good God, and He wants us to come to Him. And so we can we can bring Him our questions and our doubts and our fears, and we can um, get them answered in the, in the Word. Right, right. That's, that's very important because doubt doubt is always an opportunity. Um, it's always something to be treated as potentially dangerous. But the doubt is not the opposite of faith. Unbelief is. In the same way, fear is not the opposite of courage. Cowardice is the opposite of, of courage. There are many times when you ought to be afraid. It makes total sense to be afraid. Uh, but that doesn't mean you're a coward. And the same is true with uh, with doubt. And doubt presents a great opportunity for us to affirm uh, that we are to, to love him with all of our mind, which means, you know, where should my thought life be? You know, what direction is it going? Uh, my secret thoughts, when I'm meditating upon the things that I, I choose to commit to, to memory, uh, not just what I believe, but my convictions. What does all of this say in my life about the Lordship of Christ? It belongs to Him. And and it's one of the hardest areas of the Christian life, to discipline this, this secret part of, of, your, of your life. And yet that is the goal. And it's out of the heart, you know, come, comes every form of evil, as Christ says. And so this is why it, it has to begin here. You have to, you know, when, when the Brits say at the U station, you know, mind the gap. Well, we have to mind the gap here as well, that, that we know better many times, and we're falling short of, of what we know. And, and so we have to be just careful. I was going to say be mindful, but that would have been a bad innuendo, but, or, or um, a, a cheap joke. But anyway, but we have to be mindful. 
I guess I should say that, you know, about what what are the things that I'm entertaining? What am I thinking upon? But the great, you know, promise of the gospel is we have this prophet uh, of the mind, the Lord Jesus Christ, and through his word and his spirit, that he's given to us saving knowledge uh, through this regeneration of our heart, through this new birth, that we can know the truth. And he's not just recreating our heart, he's renewing our mind and sanctifying our knowledge uh, through the promises of God's word and through the, the testimony, the work of the spirit. So that my mind is, is on a different track now, and it's knowing better and better. And I'm learning these disciplines of the mind and the things to shut down, uh, the, the sort of lies that I hear to recognize them and spot them and answer them with the truth and to be an encourager to friends who, despite their best intentions, are saying things that, that are not helpful or perhaps where they're trying to deceive themselves. And I can graciously, gently say, but here's another way of looking at it. What do you think about this? And um, so there's lots of ways here where there's lots of encouragement. And, and at the end of the day, you know, the Bible is, is a long, thick book. And there is so much there, so much there uh, just to help you and your mind alone. Uh, to get you going in the right direction. There's so many scripture passages that the Spirit helps us to recall in times of temptation or discouragement that set us off in a holy direction and that lift us over the, the crest of that hill that we thought was unclimbable or, or those moments when we just were in pit of despair and that person put their head on our shoulder and just quoted a Bible verse. But it was the truth of that verse uh, that spoke to us and we said, that's right. I'd almost forgotten that. Um, and this is why we commit scripture to memory. So there's so much hope here in terms of despite that we live in a world that is filled with, with so much pollution, um, that God renews our hearts uh, with the light of his grace and his truth that purifies us and that clarifies things. And anyway, uh, you can just see it's just such an important category that we just don't want to diminish this aspect of our heart, the mind of the heart. Yes, that's that's wonderfully well said. Thank you, brother. What, what does it mean to keep your heart? Proverbs 4.23, and uh, the keeping of the heart, it, it comes from a word that has two sides to it, and, and there's kind of a defensive and a, a side to it in terms of, like, we're interested in, in protecting the heart, like guarding the heart's safety, but there's another side to it which means preserving the heart, which means to nurture uh, the heart's uh, health and soundness. Um, I've likened it uh, in the book, I likened it to keeping a garden. That to keep a garden, you have to be defensive. You have to sometimes put a fence around it because of uh, animals or you've got little children <laughs> and um, you have to take care of bugs and things like that, uh, weeds. On the other hand, to keep a garden, you also have to preserve the, the health of those plants. You have to water those plants. You have to cultivate those plants. You have to prune those plants. It's both those things. And so in Scripture, it's both of these things. And so we have to have a sort of two two eyes, you know, one looking outward, one looking inward. It's this, this twofold function. That's what, that's what Scripture is talking about. And the reason why is because it's from the heart uh, that all the springs of life flow. Is from this place, this center place, the control center of our of our of our life, and so we have to do both these things. Yeah, that's that's really 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 well well said. You know, Proverbs twenty three seven and Proverbs twenty seven nineteen they help us understand that our thoughts often dictate what we become because the mind of a of a man or a woman reflects what they genuinely are. You know, this mm-hmm. is why the Lord 
calls us to examine the heart because he knows the depths of them and he know he sees into the you know the inner recesses and motivations of our heart for Samuel sixteen seven says. Right. And that's and that's why, you know, one of the most courageous prayers in all scripture is Psalm one thirty nine, verse twenty three, uh, where the psalmist says, Search me, O God, and know my heart, try me and know my thoughts. And if you're really gonna pray that prayer, that takes a lot of courage. Yes, yes it does. You know, I think that guarding our heart also is is essential to fighting for contentment and and to fighting discouragement. What do you think? Yes, it's, well, that's part of keeping an eye on its soundness and its health. It's like, what? Where am I spending all my time right now? Or what is it that's getting me most excited or most angry? And and that's that's a way of keeping an eye on how are things really. Or if you have a very good friend or your spouse, they're often really really good soundboards for this sort of thing. And you know, maybe you weren't doing as well as you thought you were doing, but also maybe you're not doing as bad as you thought you were doing. And that's why having others who know you well to ask you the right questions, namely the hard questions about some of these things, is is so crucial. Yeah, that's that's really well said. What are what are the gatekeepers of our hearts? You know, this is something that was kind of interesting that, that really came to the fore after starting, you know, writing on this and thinking about it. It was interesting how often I saw, especially how the eyes were brought into association with the heart in Scripture, that the eyes are the light of the heart, as our Lord says in Matthew 6, uh, probably verse 22, 23, if I remember right. But what passes through your eyes, what you see, goes straight to your heart. And so the eyes are, are often seen as, as a gatekeeper, you know, to be careful. You know, we think of the song we learned as little kids, be careful little eyes what you see. That, that's actually very profoundly biblical. And, you know, there's a phrase that we use in Scripture, that we see in Scripture, that we use today, that in his eyes, we would say, in his eyes, he's a great guy. And, well, in his eyes is a reflection of how he sees himself in his heart. And you see this throughout the Proverbs and the Psalms, this close association between the eyes and the heart, and why our Lord warns in Matthew 6, so you need to be really careful where you look and how you look. You know, I do have greedy eyes, you know, I do have lustful eyes, as our Lord says. But this is where it begins many times. And it's interesting, you know, that when you see the temptation of Eve, that it says that she looked at the fruit and it was pleasing to sight. It was it was good for food. It, it, everything appealed to her eyes. That's where it started. And and it's interesting that three of those same verbs appear when um, David is looking down from on top of his power. And he sees Bathsheba, and he looked and saw she was pleading with eyes, and he took the same birds that you see with Eve. It's interesting that this starts here. So the eyes are very, very important in Scripture. And then the other gatekeepers are the ears. It's interesting that, that God is the God who must not be seen, but who must be heard. And so the ears are very, very important. Having ears to hear, listening to God, means that we really need to be careful about you know, who are the counselors we're listening to? And and you think about this, the eyes and the ears being gatekeepers, could anything be more relevant for the day in which we live? I mean, I, I'm, I'm always intrigued when I go to the airport and you sit there and you look around the room for everybody breaking down a flight. They've got, they've got wires coming out of their ears. Their eyes are glued to a screen, almost every person. And it's just another visual reminder of how this age is so audiovisual. And here's the Bible with its practical wisdom and saying, if you want to protect your heart, what are you looking at? You know, what are you listening to? How many hours a day are spent listening or watching things? Any, 
they're not just frivolous. Maybe they're more insidious. Maybe they're more dangerous than you think. And, or maybe they're creating a palate. Um, or maybe even starting to shape a desire that is not helpful. And so this is why, the, especially the Proverbs, are so practical and helpful uh, about these things. And, um, you know, we, we're really caught up with the screen in our day. But we can't forget, in other words, what we see. That's kind of, we think that's what the emphasis is. But no, it's still something about what we hear. And the Proverbs warns about the this adulterous woman and her cunning language and with what she says, her words, and how um, she creates this desire in a young man. And we have to be mindful of, of all the voices that we're hearing, and they really have to be measured by the Word of God. It's like, is this really um, the sort of thing I should be paying attention to? Now, it doesn't mean you cut yourself off from the world, but the point of Scripture is, is to be discerning, uh, to be modest, and to do things in measure, and to think carefully you know, about what's passing through, because this is the way most things come through. To the heart, our eyes, our ears. So those are the gatekeepers, the eyes and the ears. Yeah, you. That's that's really well said, and and you bring up a really good point about screen and being an audiovisual culture. You know, on on social media and and otherwise, you know, we we obviously view that through a screen on our phone or even on our laptop, which is a screen. Um, and you know, we live as uh, Dr. Muller, uh, Albert Muller once said, we live in an age of, of screens and we have to be so vigilant, um, in our day to, to guard our hearts and, you know, to be in the word, to understand who we are now in Christ and that, um, you know, we are fully loved and accepted by him. And that doesn't give us an excuse to to live uh, or to abuse the grace of God, as Paul would say in, in Romans 6, but actually to, you know, we stand, as Paul said in 1 Corinthians 15, 1 through 8, uh, you know, because of grace, and we continue to stand because of grace. So we should never abuse grace, but we should utilize uh, the grace of God and uh, through the through the word and through prayer, through, as you've said, the local church and, you know, get godly counselors around us, um, you know, and arm, as Burke Parsons says, accountability is first and foremost a, an arm around the shoulder, not a finger in the face. So be the kind of, uh, we were talking earlier about questioning and those types of things. Be be a safe person, you know, um, that that is... Uh, that is able to put an arm around the shoulder, not a finger in the face to somebody and walk along with them as, as we're called to do as, mm-hmm. uh, as disciples of Christ. So, yeah, no, I think that's true. I also think it means that, you know, a good friend understands that holiness begins with our eyes and our ears. And a good friend says, you know, why are you watching these kinds of movies? For instance, and see, I think it'd be wrong and legalistic to say you can't watch movies. I mean, I don't know anybody who believes that would teach that. Um, but absolutely agree with that. Yeah. But, but surely there are some things Hollywood are producing that we really don't need in our lives, you know, that we need to be very candid, you know, it's, it's pretty smutty or it's, or it's too violent. And, and there are real lines there. And I think those lines are different for each of us, but they're there. And I remember having a discussion with a seminary student years ago in Philadelphia. And he says, are you saying, Pastor Trotter, there's some movies I shouldn't see? I said, yes, absolutely. That's very clearly what I'd say, because holiness is concerned that there's some things I do not need to digest, you know, through my eyes and my ears. And I need to be careful about that. I always worked construction through college. And, you know, the language and some of those crews was pretty flowery. And, you know, I noticed by the end of the summer, it started to affect me. You know, you have words popping into your head that usually do not appear. And it's, it's because you've spent so many hours and, and it just started to influence you. And what Scripture is saying, you can't remove yourself from the world. 
but you have to be smart about what you're going to let influence you. And there's some Christians that find themselves in that work environment every day when the language is bad, you know, in the military, places like that. And you can't get yourself from it. And so it means you have to be extra diligent in prayer and in scripture and then getting a closer group of friends, a more intimate group of friends that don't talk that way and, and help you. Um, it'd be the same if you, if you had a circle of friends that all you did was gossip. You know, you, you want to extricate yourself from, from their, their influence or being overly influential in your life. Things like that. So this could go in lots of directions, but yeah, eyes and ears are so important. That is uh, that is really well said. I, I absolutely agree. Why why is it important we understand the ambassador of our hearts? Well, this, that's an interesting uh, point. So, you know, Christ is the one who told us, he essentially told us this, we know what's in your heart because you'll eventually tell us. Um, his point was that out of the heart, the mouth speaks, and that eventually we cannot help ourselves. Um, the words that, that escape uh, from our uh, from our mouths very much reflect where our heart is. So there's a lot of times when you find yourself saying, oh, I didn't mean it, or a friend will say, I didn't mean it. And, well, we probably really did. And it, the I think of the heart as not just an ambassador, but it's a, it's like a barometer or a measure. It's a thermostat, however you want to say it, uh, that's reflecting where things really stand. And every now and then, there's words that come out before we had a chance to think, and they really frighten us. And, and it's like, wow, where did that come from? Well, that came from me. That came out of my heart. And so, it, and what our Lord says, you know, it's not, the Pharisees have this wrong. They think things that you put into your stomach, those will make you unclean. <laughs> it's so superficial. He says, no, it's the things that come out of your heart that your mouth speaks about. Not what goes into your mouth, what comes out of your mouth. That's what reflects the dirtiness. And he, taught, he gives a long list of the things that uh, our speech reflects. And so uh, the, the, the mouth is very, very helpful uh, and as a barometer uh, or as a measure of where things stand and, and, and as an emissary of, of, your, of your heart and its health. Yeah, that, that's, that's really, really well said. Why is it essential Christians understand the Lord as our keeper? Uh, well, I think the, uh, this is a very encouraging thing because we can keep our hearts to a certain extent and we are uh, duty-bound to take care of the health of our heart and protect our heart. But in the end, you know, we fail in this in so many ways. And so ultimately, um, we need that assurance that God gives to us, and, and thankfully does, gives us assurance. If I can just use the words of Psalm 121, that the Lord will keep you uh, from all evil. He will keep your life. And, and his promise is that there are boundaries he has set in terms of um, what temptations that we will face, as he says in 1 Corinthians 10, um, that he'll not allow us to be exposed to what will crush us, what would undo us. Um, but the temptations that come to us, we are either able to overcome or he provides uh, a way out to escape it. Now, often we just simply accept the temptation and run with it in sin. And he's not saying he can keep us from sin, but he's saying, and we pray this in the Lord's Prayer, it's so interesting that the six petitions God, uh, that Christ gives to us in the Lord's Prayer, one of them has to do this, about lead us not to temptation. And the idea there, of course, is, is to lean upon God's promise that he, in fact, will not ever, ever lead us into a temptation or trial that would undo uh, his work permanently or anything um, that would work across cross purposes uh, for what he would use for our good. And I think we need this assurance. And it's one of the great promises that he gives to us that the Lord Jesus Christ is the Lord protector and that Satan is, is, is so important to understand this. Satan is not running rampantly around and uh, allowed to do whatever he wants. He's on a leash. But Satan only does um, towards us, what he does towards us um, is, is what he's allowed to do, what he's been given strict permission to 
do as Christians. That he, he does not have this, you know, uh, unmitigated or unqualified access to Christians. And I, a lot of times he's treated that way in, in Christian literature. And that is just not true. He's a fallen angel. And there are strict boundaries set upon him and what he can do. Now, on the other hand, there's other, other Christian literature that almost dismisses him. Not only doesn't believe in him, but say there are those that say they believe in Satan, but they grossly understate his, his great power and his ability and his legions and his emissaries through false teachers. And so we are to take this very seriously. But the fact of the matter is that all things work together for good, which means that there is absolutely nothing that happens to a Christian in that, in the, in that unqualified sense. There's nothing that just kind of randomly comes our way. That's not the case. Romans 8.32 uh, says that, or 8.29, that he causes all things to work together for our good, so that absolutely everything that comes our way, he has ordained uh, for his, his greater purposes. It's, it's 828, by the way. I just quoted myself twice. <laughs> That's okay. I've, I've, I've done that many, many times. Um, and, and what she said is just, it's it's so, so well said. So well said. And in what way is loving the Lord with all we are a matter of worship? Worship, if you think of what it means classically, what is worthy um, of, of my service, that, that in the end, if we think about worship, I can think about it a couple of ways. A lot of people want to go to Romans 12, 1 and 2 and say that all of life is worship. And there's a sense in which I, I understand what they're trying to say. I think it's, it's not the best way to understand that passage. He's using the sort of priestly sacerdotal language to say that we offer ourselves as sacrifices. And so all of life is to be consecrated to Christ. So I think we all agree upon that. But we think of worship in the most technical sense, uh, namely the way it's understood in the Old Testament, especially, but taught in the New Testament as well, as public worship. That when I come to worship God, if I'm not bringing my heart, then what am I bringing? Like you quoted 1 Samuel 16, 7 earlier, the Lord sees in the heart. If my heart's not in it, or maybe more accurately say, if I'm not trying to engage my heart in worship, then what am I offering to him? What is it that I'm bringing? It's not really worship as as he has designed, but as he has uh, requested and what he demands. And I think this is you know, an important reminder to all of us of how easy it is to uh, sort of daydream during worship and not be thinking about what we're saying, for instance, or that the time in the, in the sermon when we inevitably check out. I heard a minister say in a minister's conference one time, he says, brothers, don't fool yourself. Listening to your sermons is hard work. <laughs> there was this uncomfortable laughter spread across the uh, the men, and then he said, but it's blessed work, but it's hard work. And it is. And it's asking a lot to ask God's people that you need to throw yourself into this. But it also means teaching our people to come to worship with expectations, uh, that you are here to give and to get. You know, somebody would have said, who is worship for? Is it for God or for us? And the answer is yes, mm-hmm. it's for both. And it means I come with that full expectation. God is going to speak to me. He's going to meet with me. There's something he has to say to me today. There's some way he wants to encourage me, convict me, comfort me, help me. But there's also many ways in which I need to come and just bring him my best and to throw myself into it. You know, that people have no tr- no trouble getting themselves pumped up, you know, to, to watch the, this last installment of Star Wars. You know, they will be into it. Um, but is it really wrong for God to ask the same, to bring the same energy to worship him who created you and saved you? I think I think this is why this is so important. Mm, yes, it's really, really well said. Where can people go to find out more about your work online, either on social media or otherwise, brother? Well, this will be a short answer. <laughs> not on social media. Uh, I do very little stuff online. Um, maybe, um, I, there's several articles that will be appearing, or maybe have just appeared in connection with this book online, but there's 
I do not have much online presence. I just don't have time. And social media is, to me, a very, very mixed medium. Um, if I was in business, um, then maybe I would feel very differently about it. Well, I think I would, for sure. Um, but for someone like me, no, I, I, I just, not much there, I'm sorry to say. I have several articles I've written in the past that you can find those things online through various places. But uh, no, no not, not, not much there, which is good. You know, less clutter for another person's life. Yeah, that that's. Uh, that's wise. I, I understand that. Well, there, there's a lot that we haven't talked about about this topic, uh, Craig. And just as we wrap up, I wondered if you had a few takeaways for our listeners. Well, I think just in terms of the heart, I would just encourage people to understand that we just need to pay attention to our heart and its thinking and, and its desires, which is very important to Puritans, and to the will of your heart, your, cho- your choices. And that to understand these things are all wrapped up together, uh, they're connected, and this is the way uh, that God intended it. And, and this is very much the way in which Christ is uh, renewing your heart. This is the way in which he is sanctifying uh, your heart, improving it, whatever word you want to use. Uh, this, is, this is, he's very much, you know, paying attention to this. And this is why it is so hard, because this is not a matter of just taking a pill. Uh, this is the day in, day out, ordinary stuff of the Christian life, of figuring out and asking ourselves better questions about why is it that I desire this so much and why am I been thinking about this all the time <clears throat> why am I being so stubborn on this or why am I being so weak in my will on this and and hopefully this is where the book can, can be of some use to you as you as you seek to follow Christ and in the end uh, Dave as I said earlier that's my real great concern is to be of use to people who simply want to follow Christ in this life and do so with all their heart that's I guess that's what I would tell people and and then secondly I'm not intending not intended but don't lose heart now don't be discouraged um, because it is a long road and because it's an internal work and he drills all the way down it takes time uh, but he has all the time in the world as it were and he is he is overseeing this project and he's doing it well we do not serve a God who makes mistakes and so he's very much at work to help you you know not just to work but to will his good purpose that and this is just a long process and it's but it's worth it hey man brother very well said well well Craig I really have enjoyed this conversation and it's been fun to talk with you about this and I know that our listeners will find this very helpful so I really appreciate the time that you've given to me today and pray Christ richest blessings on on your work brother I enjoyed it so much as well Dave Lord bless you too in your ministry what you're doing thank you brother thank you Thank you for listening to the Equipping You and Grace podcast. If you enjoyed it, please subscribe, rate us on the app, and share this with your friends and family on social media. If you want to find us on social media, you can find us on Twitter at Servants of Grace, on Instagram at Servants of Grace, or by searching at Servants of Grace on Facebook. You can also find this episode and many others like it on the front page of our website, servantsofgrace.org.